And uh, today is Mother's Day, and um, I'm preaching from numbers, and I know a couple of you are going, how does that relate? First off, don't get scared. Numbers is not all lists. In Numbers 20, you're going to see it's not just a list. Uh, Secondly, I want you to know that uh, Moses had a mother, and uh, I don't think she would have been real proud of him at this moment, and so we're not going to talk about uh, mothers anymore. We're going to talk about Moses and, and how he should have honored God a little more faithfully. So while you're turning to Numbers 20, I'm going to say a brief word of prayer, and then we're going to jump in together. Father, thank you for this morning. What an absolute privilege to be your children, to be your sons and daughters. What, a, what an absolute privilege to celebrate with mothers and, and, and families and dedication and, and, and believers who are professing their faith. Lord, what a privilege to be a part of this family, your family. And Lord, as we come now to this time where we get to hear from you through your word. Give us hearts to hear. Give us minds that stay focused. Lord, help us to pay attention to what you want us to know so that we might live our lives in a way that honors and glorifies your great and wonderful name. And it's in that name that we pray. Amen. Some of you will know that we live in the Middle East, and it was in January of this year. So just a few months ago, January of this year, in the country of Lebanon, where a man named Abdullah entered a bank in the eastern part of the country, and he took at least four people, some say up to seven people hostage for a number of hours. Well, why? Why does anybody go into a bank and hold people hostage? They do that so that they can get money. Abdullah went into the bank, held people hostage so that he could get the grand total of $50,000. Now, What makes this particular situation, although sad, very interesting from most other bank robberies is that Abdullah was not trying to rob the bank, at least not in his own mind, for he was trying to take back his own money. See, unfortunately, in the last two years, the economy has collapsed in Lebanon, and what that means is that banks are quite literally not returning customers their own money. And so Abdullah felt that he had been pushed by his circumstances to take an extreme step that he would never have taken, at least according to his family and friends. He wasn't a hardened criminal, they say. He was just someone pushed into a difficult situation, and so he had a momentary lapse, a temporary failing in judgment. I think there's a sense in which we can identify with Abdullah Not that most of you have entered a bank and and taken money by force, whether it was yours or someone else's. But I think we can identify with the fact that all of us have at one time or another found ourselves in situations where we felt the pressure caused us to act in a way that otherwise we wouldn't act. We know better. But the pressure was so great. The circumstances were so challenging. Moses the friend of God found himself in such a situation where the pressure was high and he had what he might have termed a momentary lapse of self-control where he did something that I'm sure he knew was not right. And yet the scriptures don't say it's okay, it was under pressure, it was just a little bit of whoops. What the scriptures say is that he rebelled against his holy God. See, we like to make excuses for our behavior. I like to make excuses 
for my behavior. I like to say it was this or it was that or it was she or it was the government. It, we make excuses and yet in the end, if we're honest with ourselves, when we behave in ways that we shouldn't, we have accidentally rebelled against our Lord and Savior, our most holy God. And see, that's what's happening in Numbers chapter 20. This text is a stark reminder of how easy it is to accidentally rebel against God. And I say accidentally because most of you don't say, I'm going to purposely reject the one who has saved me. I'm going to purposely spit in the eye of the God who has died on the cross for me. We suddenly fall into it almost backwards, as it were, and yet the consequences sometimes are no less severe and the sin no less great. We'll see. Let's get a quick preview of God's view on what Moses did before we go back and see Moses' behavior. In Numbers chapter 20, Numbers chapter 20, and today I'll be speaking to you out of the English Standard Version, Numbers chapter 20 in verses 12 and 13, it reads, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are, these are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. God didn't say, it's okay, sin is no big deal. God didn't say, I'm a forgiving God, which he is. God didn't say, I'm a patient God, which he is. What God said is, you failed to believe in me, and yet I am holy. We need this reminder this morning. You need this reminder this morning that you serve a holy God and you cannot, must not, accidentally impugn his honor and fail to hold him as holy. Let's look at the situation that led up to this pronouncement, this pronouncement by God. Let's start back again in Numbers chapter 20, but we're going to look in Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 5, and see the background, see the situation that pushed Moses potentially to where he was. Moses said, uh, this is, uh, sorry, uh, Miriam had died. Numbers chapter 20, verse 1. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. And Miriam died there and was buried there. And quite honestly, between chapter, or verse 1 and verse 2, we don't necessarily see a clear link. Then it goes on and, and tells a story that seems somewhat unrelated. But I'm convinced that what we're seeing here is perhaps the larger background that might have contributed to the emotional pressure that Moses felt. Who was Miriam? Moses' sister, his family. And so there is no right person on the face of this earth that doesn't hurt when their family passes on. And so that is the background for what happened. He had a deep personal hurt. But then it goes on in verse 2. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, would that we have perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. I mean, this is just tough. Israel kind of has a history of doing this. Things get bad, they complain and say, we should have just died. It's like they're perpetual teenagers. We see here that they are not able to deal with the situation, so they begin to fight, they begin to quarrel. You know, it's that, it's that verbal harassment that goes on. 
It's that verbal, hey, this is your fault. Why did you bring us here? Why did you take the wrong turn? You never checked the map. It's that, it's that going on and on. Now, don't get me wrong. Water is important. Water is a vital resource. And in the Middle East where I live now, we have a lack of almost every vital resource. There's a lack of medicine, a lack of water, a lack of electricity, a lack of gasoline. And so that does create pressure. It makes people act in ways that they know that they shouldn't. And as is their want, the people of Israel were acting by blaming Moses. They were complaining against him. And really when they complained against Moses, they were complaining against God. That was clear in Exodus 17 when at a different time, in a different circumstance, when the people were still quarreling with Moses, Moses said in Exodus 17 too, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. It's always about the water. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? See, when they grumbled against Moses and Aaron, they were not grumbling against Moses and Aaron. They were rejecting their God. And see, we do that as well. We do that as well, don't we? We know those verses so well in Philippians. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. James also says in chapter 5, verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. And yet we do it. At one time or another, every person in this room has grumbled. Now, I, I hate to spoil it, but let's just get real honest. Today's Mother's Day. Oh, the amount of grumbling that mothers have absorbed from their, at times, less than perfectly grateful children. Oh, the amount of grumbling that our Lord has endured from his always less than perfectly grateful children. See, we're looking at Moses and the way he didn't respond to his holy God, but before we even got to Moses, we found ourselves tripped up because too many of us recognize ourselves in these ungrateful people. I know that the economy is not what it was a year ago. I know that inflation is high. I know that that makes life difficult for many of us. And yet we grumble when we have, in many ways, been, of all people, most blessed. Even if your financial situation or your family situation or the political situation is not what you want it to be, God is good, and in his good grace, he has called you to himself, just like we heard some wonderful testimonies this morning, and yet we have the gall to grumble. I'm quite certain that if we finished here and left this morning, he's already given us enough to think about. Because we grumble. And oftentimes, we grumble and point fingers at people who really have no control over I mean, they're going to Moses and Aaron and say, where's the water? And I can just see Moses going, how is this my fault? What did I do? What? I, I, I. And yet, ultimately, they were grumbling against God. Verse 4 of Numbers 20. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? That's just low. I mean, it's like... And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is no place for grains or figs or, or, or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. 
Now, there's a couple things that are going on here. When you get pressed, you get irrational. Dare I say, you get a little stupid. Because they're going, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to this evil place? They're contrasting Egypt where they were in slavery to this evil place. Always we're going, hey, it was better over there. And yet then they go, this is no place for grains or figs or, or vines or pomegranates. Yeah, no kidding. You know why? Because this is the wilderness. This isn't the promised land. You know why they're not experiencing those wonderful fruits? Because they rebelled against their holy God and he put them in the wilderness so that they might learn. And yet they continued to grumble. We do that. We forget God's goodnesses. We grumble in all kinds of ways and it's not healthy. And so when we look at Moses, we might go, yeah, he had a right to be upset. They were blaming him for stuff that wasn't his fault. Let's see how Moses responds to this difficult situation. Verse 6, Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them there. So they're going, they're, they're putting themselves before God, they're praying, they're seeking his will. And verse 7, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes, so a rock that they could see, to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. So what we saw at first is we saw that the difficult circumstances that Moses was in. Now what we're really seeing is we're seeing the clear expectations from God. God, God gave Moses clear expectations, a clear command, this is what I want you to do. And we have that as well, don't we? We have that privilege. We have the word of God where we have the clear expectations from God about how we should live our lives. We know what is expected of us. Now, some people at some times have said, well, you know, God doesn't speak to me like he spoke to Moses. Well, no, he doesn't. But as Jim Elliott once said, why do you need a voice when you have a verse? We have the clear word of God that tells us how we can live and honor God, how we can enjoy this life, how we can be wonderfully, blessedly joyous in living the life that God wants us to live, obeying his word. And so for most of us, perhaps for all of us, when we accidentally rebel against God, the excuse of, I didn't know is a pretty flimsy one. If I were to sit here and ask you this morning, how many of you before you came in the room knew that you shouldn't grumble and complain, I dare say we'd have gotten pretty close to 100% that everybody said, yeah, that's not a good idea. And yet we do it. And yet we do it. We have, as Scripture says, the word breathed out, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be equipped, complete, equipped for every good work. This just isn't in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament as well, there was that clear identity or that clear um, understanding that they were to hold on to the word of God, the written word of God. Joshua, who was Joshua. He was the disciple, the protege of Moses. In Joshua, the book that bears his name, chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. 
Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law, so the written word of God, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. We know the word. We have the word. We know what God expects from us. The question is, are we carefully attending to it? How many of you walked under this sanctuary this morning and it had been far too long since you had opened the pages of your Bible and went in and read again and refreshed your mind and your heart and your soul with the goodness of your God and with the expectations that he has for you. Do you know this word like you should? You and I, we have no excuse. This word is clear to us. There are a multitude, a, a, a glorious riches of translations in the English language. If we don't know the word of God, it's a shame to us. Do we know it? Do we know those expectations? Because they help us. The, the more we soak ourselves, the more we just go deep into this word, it helps us to not accidentally rebel against our God. How many of us know it like we should? I'm going to push a little further. How many of us memorize the word of God? Some of you are going to say, I'm past a certain threshold, whatever that is. That threshold keeps getting higher as I grow up. I don't memorize anymore. I have met no one to this day who can't memorize something of the Word of God. No one. And it's evidenced by the fact that we memorize phone numbers, directions, sports statistics, recipes, all kinds of stuff. Even the weakest among us can memorize something of the Word of God. Will you? Do you think it's important enough? You should. Let's move on in the story. We started with Moses and we looked at the tough situation that Moses and the people were in, two different sides of the story. By the way, the people are going, we have no water and that's their tough situation. Moses was going, I don't have any water either and you're blaming me for that. So we might say his situation was even a little more tough. Then we see that he has the clear command and we're like that. We're in a difficult situation in life and yet we know we have the clear word of God to guide us. And yet what does Moses do? Not his finest hour didn't make mom proud here. Let's go and start in verse 9. Because this is where we see Moses slip into his accidental rebellion. And Moses took the staff before the Lord as he had commanded him. And this is important. Because Moses takes the first step on the path to obedience. And then he goes off the rails. How many of us are like that? We have every intention of obeying our God. Lord, I'm not going to get angry anymore. Lord, I'm going to read the Bible faithfully like I committed to you that I would. Lord, I'm going to stop watching things that I know I shouldn't watch. Lord, I'm going to be kind to the people that I know I should be kind to. And we take that first step of obedience, but then we allow ourselves to get in the way. And that was Moses' pattern. He was an obedient guy. If we read in Numbers chapter 1, in verse 18 and 19, it says, On the first day of the second month, they assembled the whole congregation together who had registered themselves by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old, head by head. 
as the Lord commanded Moses. As the Lord commanded Moses. This is the pattern that we see all throughout Numbers is that Moses did as he was commanded. And so we need to be careful this morning that none of us looks at ourselves and thinks, I'm better than the person on the other pew. I'm more obedient than the person in front of or behind me. I mean, I'm more obedient than my spouse. Because prior obedience, prior faithfulness is no guarantee that we will not fall into the trap of accidentally rebelling against our God. Why? Because you are a sinner. I am a sinner. And the sin that we still battle against, because it is a battle, loves to rear its ugly head at any moment. It did in Moses' life. It certainly does in ours. In verse 10, so in verse 9, Moses had started well. God said, take the staff, and so Moses took the staff. So far, so good. In verse 9, then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and he struck the rock with his staff twice, and water flowed out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. So we didn't forget the cows. And here you might think, hey, look, we're kind of a a pragmatic society. The result was good. The people got water. What's the big deal? But we looked already at God's judgment, and God had said, you failed to believe in me. You did not honor me as holy. And so what we see here is that Moses, in his anger, had behaved in a way that dishonored his Savior, because God has always been the Savior, not just after the cross. God has always and forever been a saving God. Let's look again more closely at this verse, verse 10. Hear now, you rebels. I mean, you can just hear it roaring out of the throat. This wasn't a gentle, hi, you rebels. You know, kind of that quick. No, it was, it was, he was frustrated. He was upset. I would even venture to say this is harsh speech. It's not communicating this from the Lord. The Lord said, go and do this. And he pops out there and says, hear now, you rebels. He's, he's frustrated. By the way, He is not factually incorrect here. They are, as we saw earlier, rebelling against their God. But he is not obeying the word of the Lord to treat them as they should. See, we need to see in Psalms chapter, Psalm 106, verses 32 and 33. Psalm 106, 32 and 33 is the commentary on this passage here. Psalm 106, 32 and 33 says, They, meaning the people, angered him, that being Moses, at the waters of Meribah. And it, sorry, uh, they angered him at the waters of Meribah, and it went ill with Moses on their account. Angered God, sorry. For they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. He spoke rashly. This wasn't the controlled speech of a man who was carefully obeying God. This was a man who was frustrated, a man who was tired, a man whose circumstances had pushed him, a man who had lost his family. And whether or not he had always had the best relationship with his sister is rather beside the point. He was worn out. You know how long he'd been walking around in that wilderness? This is at the end, close to 40 years. And why was he walking around in it? Because of those people and their parents 
who had originally rejected to go into the promised land when Caleb and Joshua had come back and given a good report and the other ten had given a bad report, as we learn in Numbers 13 and 14. So he was angry. He spoke rashly. How many of us have acted far too often like Moses? Emotionally fatigued. Physically fatigued. And quite frankly, I believe Moses was being treated unjustly by the people. To go back to the same point we just talked about. I mean, was it really Moses' fault that there was no water in the middle of the wilderness? No, I, I really don't think it was. And so he might have felt justified in his behavior. He might have felt, they pushed me to it. And yet it falls short of the holy standard of a holy God. It falls short of the standard of our Savior. First Peter, First Peter chapter 2 and verse 23, when speaking of our Lord and Savior, what does it say? When he, that being Christ, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Who is that him? It's the Father. When Christ was maligned, when Christ was treated poorly, when Christ's rights were infringed upon, when Christ was under the most extreme amount of human pressure that we might imagine, he did not take it as an excuse to lash out, to rebel against God. Rather, it says he continued, meaning as was his pattern, he continued to entrust himself to God who judges justly. Or to say it in another way, to know that God in the end will settle the accounts the way they should be settled. What causes Moses to do this? What causes Moses? It's hard to say exactly because I can't climb inside his mind, but I do believe we get a clue. I do believe that we get a clue to his mindset. It's again in verse 10. Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water? Not shall God provide, shall we. There is a self-centeredness that existed in Moses that caused him to act in a way that he should never have considered acting in. There's a self-centeredness that sits in you right now. Every one of you is just a perfect little well-dressed Sunday morning self-centered person. You're like, this guy's really encouraging. I'm going to come back next week. I won't be here, sorry. We are proud people. You say, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You insist upon your rights, however small, however large. You think about the food that you like to eat. You think about the things that you like to do. You think about the clothes that you like to wear. You think about, you know, what you want to do when this guy's done talking. You think about you all the time. And even when you're serving other people, we have that tendency to say, am I being noticed? Did somebody else notice that I was sacrificing, that I gave up, that I'm serving? We are self-worshippers. And it's a battle. Hear that? It is a battle that we must constantly fight. 
because when we don't guard against it all the time, our tendency is to have wrong emotions, wrong attitudes, and slip into a self-centered, self-worshipping, accidentally rebelling against God approach. And it manifests itself in all kinds of ways, in our speech, in our actions. And so when I look at Moses, what I see is a very normal person who let his guard down. When I look at Moses, I see the temptations that I have faced. I remember the times that I have faced pressure. And for some of us, that memories probably don't go back much further than this morning. And perhaps the pressure of just getting ready for church with young children can cause you to be tempted to act in ways that you know you shouldn't act. Why? Because it's about you. It's about you. Those are the sins in the very beginning. When Satan fell, it was about him. When Adam and Eve fell, it was about them. When you rebel against your God, it's about you. So what was Moses' problem? It's the same problem that you and I have this morning. It was all about him. And for a moment, he forgot to honor his God as holy. And yet, that wasn't going to fly. Or to say it in the vernacular, that dog wasn't going to hunt with God. He wasn't letting that one pass. Verse 12, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me. Whoa! Whoa, God, whoa! I mean, God, it's just a, just a few minutes there. I mean, I, I just lost my mind. I don't know what I was thinking. Sin with God is serious. It is not that God is not a gracious God. He is. We see that with his repeated dealings with his people in the wilderness. He should have wiped them all out. And yet he was patient with them. And he's been patient with the human race ever since Adam and Eve fell. And he's patient with you today. He was patient in the New Testament. I think of Christ all the time and how he dealt with Peter. When Peter had rejected him and Christ brought him back and he restored him. And he gave him a position of service. God's graciousness, God's mercy, God's long-suffering with us is apparent all throughout the Scriptures. And all of us who've been in Christ for any length of time know that his patience and his mercy is manifest in our lives on a regular basis. But that does not mean that he winks at our sin. That does not mean that when we fail to treat him as holy, it is not wrong. It does not mean that he does not notice. He notices and he cares because he must be seen as holy. Holy means he is apart from all others, certainly completely without sin, but not only without sin, he is on a completely different level. God is not some kind of superman. He is in a completely different category. Every one of us in this room has more to do or is is closer to an ant, to a worm in the dirt than we are to God in one sense because all of this is created and he's the only one who is uncreated. We can get a glimpse of who he is through his word. We can get a glimpse of who he is as we marvel at the creation that he has provided for us to enjoy. But that creation glorifies him. That creation testifies that he is a wonderful and mighty God, and we must so as well. Although we can know him truly, we can only know him in limited capacities, not because he is hiding himself from us, but because we are so small. And in front of that kind of a God, we must Always treat him as holy. There is no exceptions. We begin to focus on ourselves and we grow large when we forget to focus 
on who he really is. He is awesome. As the angel said in Isaiah 6, he is holy, holy, holy. We cannot begin to describe how amazing God is. And so when God here points out their sin and condemns them for their lack of faith, he is not some grumpy old man saying, stay off the grass. What is he? He is a perfectly righteous and almighty being who deserves all of the worship that anyone could ever give him and more. And it is not only that he deserves it, it is for our own good that he requires it of us. For we were created to love and serve him. We must. God condemned them for their lack of faith. God challenged their behavior and says, you did not show me as holy. If we were to look at the end of this chapter, still in Numbers chapter 20, but skip up to Numbers chapter 20, verse 24, it says, he's talking about Aaron dying, let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my command. Lays it out there for him. And in Numbers 27, 14, the same thing, because you rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Zin. This was not a momentary slip-up, although that's what it was. This was an act of rebellion. And we normally think of a rebellion as kind of maybe a cause where you deliberately take up arms against someone. And yet, when we are fighting against or taking the glory of an almighty God, whether it be accidentally or on purpose, it is still rebellion. And God pointed that out. And remember, Moses was the friend of God. This was not God's enemy. This was God's choice friend and chosen servant and yet he still rebelled we must be careful by the way just one quick side note and we see in numbers 20 in verse 10 we shall we so this is moses speaking but he's saying we who's the we aaron and moses In the two verses I just read you, in Numbers chapter 20, verse 24, you rebelled against my command. In Numbers 27, 14, because you rebelled against my word, both times, you is plural. What does that mean? Aaron might have been in the background. He might have pushed Moses up. Moses might have been the one who was doing the talking. But Aaron was no less complicit. He allowed that rebellion to go forward. He didn't immediately stand up and say, this isn't right. This isn't from us. This is from the Lord. So even if you this morning, and I don't believe it's possible, but even if you this morning somehow feel that, oh, I'm not the one doing this, and now we need to ask ourselves another question. Are we permitting those who we are close to to also proceed in a way which is dishonoring to God? Those those over whom we have influence. Are we calling them back to holiness Are we reminding them that our God must be honored? Or are we letting them skate along? God is holy. It's interesting at the end of verse 13, Numbers 20, 13, what does it say? It says, and through them he showed himself holy. Even when Moses and Aaron and the people all rebelled, even when God pronounced judgment, against them and condemn their sin. He showed himself holy. He showed himself righteous. Even in his judgment, he is good. 
even in his judgment, he is righteous. We must be committed to living in a way that honors our holy God. And I would remind you that the battle that is raging in you and around you, that battle of sin, will never quit. You cannot give up. All of us are aware of the terrible, terrible tragedies that are happening in Ukraine right now. Just this morning, I met two young ladies from Ukraine, and they reminded me that we, in our missions organization, have two friends who've been over there for 25 years. When the fighting broke out, they were offered a ride. I said, we're going to stay. This is where God has us. And so they're in the midst of a war zone, doing what they can to honor Christ. But also in the midst of that war zone are, are soldiers, people who have taken up arms to defend their country. Why are they fighting? Why are they fighting? Why not just give it up and relocate somewhere else? Because they believe they have found something worth fighting for, their own country. We have something worth fighting for. The glory and honor of our amazing and holy God. You have something worth fighting for. Just like a soldier in a real battle cannot take a break because the battle is fierce, we cannot stop. There will be all of eternity where we will get to enjoy the presence of the Lord and fellowship with the saints without sin. That time is not now. It is not now. Now we carry the fight we carry the fight to the front lines. And what we're going to discover and what we already know is that most of the time the front lines is our own heart. As we spaddle against our sin, even as Moses did, to put our self-centeredness aside, to say, God, we will honor you as holy. Leviticus 11:14 says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. God has called us to holiness because he is holy. It is not an option. If you are standing or if you're standing or sitting this morning or watching through the screen and you're going, I don't really care that much about the holiness of God, let me simply plead with you to re-examine where you stand before the Lord. Because true children of a holy God have a desire to be like their father. If you have nothing to do with holiness, if you think it doesn't matter, so what? If I sin, no big deal. Ask God to give you a gracious re-examination of your heart. And yet this morning, if you are like I'm sure many of you are, if you are broken over your self-centeredness, if you are broken over the fact that too often you slip into the accidental rebellion, seek the gracious face of your Father. Because as he has proven himself time and time again, he is just, but he is also gracious. And through Christ, through Christ our mediator, we will always have access to our Father. He never cuts himself off. So even while he is calling you to holiness and calling you to the life that you must live, he's calling you to himself where he might encourage and love you as well. Take this opportunity this morning to see where you're at. Do you really know God or do you really not care about his holiness at all? Are you in that camp where you're just going to grumble, point the finger at someone else, blaming somebody else for your problems, like those people did with Moses? Are you, are you, are you Moses who's going to say, no, I can, I can, I can, and so inadvertently maybe take the place of God? Or perhaps you're just Aaron. Hey, I'm not doing all that, but I don't have the courage to, to tell other people 
that they should honor God. Wherever we are or anywhere else, God calls us this morning to recognize that he is holy. Might we honor him as such, for he is worthy. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning with humble hearts and, Lord, with a fresh look at who you are. Lord, this story isn't about Moses and Aaron and the people. The story is, like always, about you. You deserve our worship. You deserve our lives. You deserve us committing ourselves to live holy before you. Why? Because you are holy in the fullest and most complete sense of the word. Lord, for those of us this morning who have struggled, who have failed, who have not honored you as the holy God that we should, perhaps even this morning, humble us, bring us back to yourself, and then give us the the strength and the encouragement and the power through your spirit to live those holy lives that you want us to live. Or might we become more like you? Might we become more like Jesus every single day? Might we never give up, even in times of intense pressure, even when we think there's nothing else I can do except act out? Lord, we may always choose to act according to your clear written word. Thank you for this time this morning that we've been able to gather as a family. Encourage our hearts, challenge us, remind us of your love. In Christ's name we pray, amen.